And you are tuned in to another segment of Women Who Boss Up. I'm your host, Taylor Hayes. And today I have a guest with me. Her name is Peggy Thomas. And she is a retired educator. People consider her to be a beast with a powerful force in the education world. How are you today, Peggy? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Glad to have you in today. So we're going to be talking about your journey to becoming an educator and benefits and barriers and things of that nature. So so I want to know, what made you want to go into teaching? When I was probably in the sixth grade, I had a summer job where I had to help special needs kids in a pool. And when I saw how quickly they could learn, it really inspired me to want to go into education. So I started my career in special education. Okay, so with that being said, we're going to take a look back. So I want to know what it was like growing up for you. I was born in the late 50s. So I was born through all of the 1960s movements, the whole bus riots, the whole Rosa Parks, you know, Martin Luther King, all of that. I can remember very vividly when Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated. And we had one of the few TVs in the neighborhood and everybody was crowded around, crying, trying to get information, listening to radios. And it was very heartfelt and it really impacted my life. Okay, so let's talk about Ruby Bridges. So Ruby Bridges and I are the same age. A lot of times when we think about Black history and we hear about Ruby Bridges, who was the little girl who at the age of, I think it was five or six, ended up having to be the one to integrate schools uh, in the South. So that was in my lifetime, you know? So the gains we've made, the things that have happened has not been that long ago. So your grandmother raised you, tell us about that. So my mother died when I was two weeks old. And before she passed away, she told my grandmother, take care of my baby. So I was, my two sisters, my brother, aunt, uncle, we all lived in a two-room row house in Savannah, Georgia. My older sister didn't live with us for long or much, but then my great-grandmother moved in with us. So at any given time, there were six or seven of us living in a two-bedroom. I could even remember when they built the toilet on. You know, before then, we would have to go to the outhouse. Wow. Outhouse. Imagine it. That was a long time ago. Yes, girl. Yes. I bet that was an experience. Thank you for toilets in the house. <laughs> okay, so you started off, you grew up in Savannah, Georgia. How did you end up in Michigan City, Indiana? Well, I was born and raised in Savannah, Georgia. When my grandmother passed away, we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And when we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, it was the very first time ever that I went to school with uh, white students. Before then, you know, there was literally a track <laughs> and whites lived on one side of the track and blacks lived on the other. So I went to school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. When I graduated from Ann Arbor High, I went to Eastern Michigan University. I lived with my aunt and uncle and their three kids. My sister and I did. And when I graduated from Eastern Michigan, I put on my application anywhere USA in Michigan City called me and I was hired. 
That's awesome. Anywhere USA, and that's how you ended up here. I did. Okay, very good. So, where do you fall in the four children? You said there was two other sisters and a brother in you. I'm the baby. So, with you being the baby, would you say they gave you a lot of love and support growing up? Oh, I was always special. You were special. <laughs> right. I was always loved. Everybody made sure I was okay. My oldest sister played piano for the Seventh-day Adventist church to pay for my tuition because I went to um, Seventh-day Adventist school, a private school. I've always felt well-loved, well-supported, didn't even realize I was poor. That's awesome. Yeah. When you get that love and support, you probably didn't know what poor was. That's awesome that your sister worked to pay for your tuition. So, okay, so you went to Eastern Michigan and you ended up in Michigan City, Indiana, to teach. So let's talk about your teaching career. When you got here, um, what role did you take on as a teacher? Um, I was a special ed teacher. I did that for about 10 years. On the 10th year, I went on sabbatical for a year and taught at Valparaiso University. They had a urban visiting educator program that I was a privilege to be invited to be a part of. I came back from that and taught fourth grade general ed because while I was at VU, I got my, my general ed license. Then for about seven or eight years, I had the privilege of teaching a multi-age classroom where another teacher and I had about 40, 45 students between us, and those students were in fourth and fifth grade. So she and I took the curriculum and made it so it was a two-year curriculum. So those kids who needed to be advanced, we were able to do that. Those who needed extra time, we were able to do that. We tracked a lot of our students and they graduated. That's awesome. So after you did the multi-program, I became an instructional coach, which means that my job was to work with other teachers to help them better their practice. After doing that, in education, you have to always get continual college credits. Uh, one of my great friends, Kathy Bildhauser, uh, said to me, why don't we just go get our principal license? I had no interest. She said, let's just do it. And sure enough, I listened and she drugged me, <laughs> but I was successful in completing my principal license. After that, I was then, I was the assistant principal in two of our elementary schools. And my last six years, I was the principal at Edgewood Elementary. And I can truly say that that was the job I was born to do. Okay, so that was your most gratifying job. Why would you say that? When you are a teacher, you impact the lives of 20, 25 kids or whoever is in your classroom. When you are the principal, you impact, it feels like the world because everything you are responsible for. And I truly believe that I left Edgewood in a better place than when I started. I truly believe if you talk to people who worked for me or with me, they would say that they felt like they were part of a family because we were all working towards the same goal. Which was to have a desire to reach each child and, and making sure they graduate. Absolutely. And not just academically. We really uh, did a lot of work with 
reaching kids socially and emotionally. You know, you can't expect a child to learn at a high level when they are struggling emotionally. So we did a lot of work around that. So would you say your passion and your purpose was to uh, have a desire to help children? That's why you ended up teaching. I think it was my purpose, yes. Okay. So let's talk more about your teaching. How important was it for you being a teacher and having an impact on a child's life? The thing is, you never know the difference you make in a child's life. Whatever you tell your children, whatever you pour into them, it becomes their inner voice. And I think the greatest things that have happened to me have been when children come back to me and say, Ms. Thomas, you're proud of me? You're proud of me? I'm doing such and such. And, you know, of course I am. When I was a teacher, I would tell the kids, you are a Thomas child. And there are certain expectations that go along with that. We act a certain way. We, we carry ourselves in a certain manner. For six hours and 20 minutes, it did not matter where you lived, who your parents were, how things were going on or how difficult life was. For six hours and 20 minutes, you were a Thomas kid. And so they knew and understood that I loved them, I cared for them, and I was going to push them to achieve at the highest level. Okay, now you've had some teachable moments. One was where you gave your students an opportunity to act like they were purchasing a car, some real-life situations. Let's talk about that. We had a unit we did that was called Family Matters. The kids would just choose a career out of a hat. With that career came a salary. They had to pay electric bill. They could buy a car. They had to have so much savings in the bank. And then there were life cards that they would have to choose from. And sometimes those life cards were good things and sometimes they weren't. When they had to buy a car, they had to actually call a dealership, find out about taxes and things of that nature. We were able to teach adding, subtracting, all of that because they had to keep a checkbook. We still taught our standards, but we put them and wrapped them around real world situations. Okay, now there was also a situation when you first started as a teacher uh, in your special education and there was a co-worker, Francine, mm -hmm. who, what happened in that situation? So it was probably my second or third week teaching and it was tough. If I said the sky was blue, there was an argument about that, that maybe it was a hint of blue, whatever. It was just everything was argumentative. And I had gotten to the point where it was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I was headed out the back door, tears in my eyes, when one of my coworkers, Francine, saw me there. She says, what's going on? I told her, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just done. She said, no, you're not. And she came home with me and mentored me for the rest of the year, supported me with kids that were a little difficult. And um, because of her, I was able to put in 40 years. That's awesome and amazing. So let's take it back a little bit farther. You talked about, did you think you would ever go to college being that you came from Savannah, Georgia, your grandma raised you in a house full of nine people. Was college an option for you? There was a mindset at 611 West 40 Flame. And that's the address of where I lived. 
that mindset was education was the way, education was the key. So I didn't know how I was going to go to college, but I knew I was going. That's just was the expectations. And because I was, you know, the baby, my older sister had gone to Savannah State College and graduated summa cum laude in music. So we may have been poor, but there was an educational mindset. So off and on, there might have been, you know, five people, seven people. It really didn't matter because we just all loved each other and lived well. My aunts and uncles from up north would send things back to Georgia. Like I said, I never felt like, oh my God, I'm poor. Okay. Now, what were some barriers you had to face, like going to college or going to school, or even when you were first starting your your career as an educator? What kind of barriers did you have to face? Well, there are always many different types of barriers. The first one is a mindset. You know, there were many times that I believed that others could do things better, that I wasn't quite as good, things of that nature. I was able, though, in terms of money, in high school, I had a very good grade point average. So I was able to get, back in the day, it was called the Basic Equal Opportunity Grant. So that's how I was able to go to school and pay for it, but I still had to live at home, had to work to make it all, you know, work. Many times, especially when, you know, and the further you move up in teaching and principling and things of that nature, there were very few minorities. Um, So you always feel as if you need to prove yourself. The old folks would say, you got to do more, you got to work harder, you got to be better. And those are the kinds of things that stick with you. So just like everyone else, just the times, the money, the finances, uh, and life will just throw you curveballs, you know. Very few times is the picture that you have in your head match the reality of what you're living. The thing that you can control is the thoughts that go with it. Now, with you being a powerful force in the educational world, I know you received some (laughs) accolades and acknowledgments. Tell me about that. (laughs) I don't know how powerful of a force I was, but uh, I have been acknowledged to that I've got a few things that I've done. My school went from being an F to a C in a span of five to six years. We were able to get huge grants from the state. And I think the biggest accolade that I get, again, is when people come to me or see me on the streets and just say, oh, Miss Thomas, you changed my life. That is probably the most important accolade is the fact that you make a difference in a child's life. I totally agree. Now, also, they named a garden in your in your honor, right? Yes. When I first got to Edgewood, one of the things that was our mantra, if you was, is that you have to believe, you have to dream, believe, and achieve. And that's something you would find it everywhere we go. It would be everywhere we went. So now in front of the building, there is a garden that says, dream, believe, achieve. And... 
when I retired is when they put it there in my honor. Nice. See, accolades and acknowledgments. Wonderful. Now, also, who was your greatest inspiration? My grandmother. Your grandmother. And why so? Even though it, it's just how she cared herself, she instilled in us such a great love. You know, like I said, she made us all feel special. And the, the fact that she would take on a newborn and and pour into me everything she did, she truly was one of the giants. I can see that's true love. And what about family support? I've had plenty of family support, my sisters, my brothers. But my greatest support, especially in my educational uh, level, was my family. My husband made sure that anything I was trying to do, he made sure I had everything I need to do it. My kids were always very supportive of, yeah, my mama is trying to work on this or whatever. But my husband, for sure, definitely made sure that I had everything I needed to be successful. That is amazing. That's love right there. You are yes. truly loved. I really yeah. respect you. I'm yes. blessed. And, yes. and I think it... You know, from the prayers of the elders to just God being in my life, I truly feel I've been anointed and I've worked in my purpose and I've given it all I've got. And so now that I'm retired, there is a peace that comes with that when you know you've done your best. Wonderful. Now, there was a Mandela quote you were telling me about. What is that quote? So another thing that I brought to Edgewood and that became our battle cry was, it always seems impossible until it's done. And when you know the things that uh, Mandela went through, it really helped us on those hard days, on those rough times when things weren't going how we wanted them to go, even though we had put our best into it, just to just say, it always seems impossible until it's done. Love it. Now, also, you and your husband, you created an empowerment fund. So my husband was a beast in education also. He also was a tremendous athlete and still holds records down at IU for football. So when he passed away, in lieu of flowers, I set up the Donnie and Peggy Thomas Empowerment Fund and was able to begin it with over $10,000. That's how much money came in. So now my kids already know when I die and pass away that monies need to go back into that fund. The fund will last forever because I have the a pleasure of working with the Unity Foundation here in Michigan City, and they make sure that it will last forever. So I am able to say, for example, the robotics team needed money to go to a special meet. I can say, send the robotics team X amount of dollars. I really make sure and make my focus be students, you know. So if I see a need in my community, I'm able to react to it. That's awesome. So with that being said, what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind? Uh, one, I did a speech one time in, for when my husband was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And in terms of legacy, as long as someone says your name, you will never die. That's a quote I saw somewhere. 
I just hope my legacy is when they mention my name, that there is a smile behind it because they feel as if I gave them peace. You gave them more than peace. You gave them ambition. You gave them motivation. And you've seen that through, you know, students coming back to you Mm -hmm. saying, you know, hey, I made it through. It's because of you, which is awesome and amazing. And we want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. We need more educators and administrators out there doing what you do in the school systems. Well, thank you. Now, I got one more question for you. I always ask my guests, what is your definition of a boss? A boss is someone who understands that they're in control. However, they don't have to go around showing they're in control. What I mean by that is everyone who's ever worked for me knew and understand what the parameters were of what we were trying to do. But I gave them enough free reign within those parameters for them to be able to shine on their own. I don't need the accolades. I don't need all of you know, people saying, oh, you're in control. I know I'm in control. But what I need is for you to feel empowered. Hey, I like that. I like that. Any last remarks? Just that when you have faith in God and you do things in order, you try to do the right thing. I always talk to my people about keeping their mirror clean and clear. You got to be able to look in your mirror and know that the things that you've done, what you've said to people, you would be proud to look in the mirror and say that you've said it. I like that. Peggy, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your experience and your journey with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. And you are tuned in to another segment of Women Who Boss Up. Until next time, take care.